for some unexplained set of reasons, I happened to be selected to be God. Because what I am is principle. There is no sky god. I do not attain to be the creators of all your worlds, but I am the creator of this world. I want to say one thing. Thank God for Jim Jones. Thank God for Jim Jones. You will not come to him that you might have life. The scriptures are death, but the spirit of Christ, hey, it's alive. I just don't want to pain like this. But I saw Jim Jones. I mean, I saw him with these eyes. He just walked to the door. I am the only fully socialist. I am the only fully God. So I'm now on the scene. I'm going to project myself. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to declare myself. Actually, I'm quite a very humble essence of being. I, I don't like to discuss my own work, but I have to tell you that the universe would not run without me. Welcome to World New Clash Class, People's Temple, Episode 5, The View from the Pulpit. Last time, we looked at what it would be like to enter a service at People's Temple. We listened to the miraculous unfolding, blind receiving sight, pain erased, and the lame walking. In this episode, we take a look from a different perspective, from the inside, with former pastor of the LA branch of People's Temple, David Parker Wise. We'll look at his entry into the group, why he stayed, and ultimately why he left, and how he barely escaped. I was leaving, I left out of Texas and asked God to, you know, show me what I was born for because it wasn't born for that, for what was taking place there. And um, so I tried several religions and kept a journal on my experience and tried each one for two weeks as a, as a, I always kind of approached life like I was writing a book or something. Mm. But um, I had heard there that Jim Jones was a um, humanitarian like me, and that he talked similarly to me about involving humanitarianism with religion. Mm. So that it's not all about eschatology or the study of life after death, but a part of it about life while you're alive mm. and that we need to manifest humanity and and love and these kind of wonderful things so that philosophy was the original pull not just for me but for many people that would want to go to such a service when i went in uh, benjamin franklin auditorium in san francisco I was interested in humanitarian programs and what was taking place there. I had been told about, and um, it was kind of shocking for me to see that he was doing healing services. Hmm. Uh, not only his dark glasses, but the sign in front of his pulpit, 
was a bit alienating because it explained the dark glasses. Uh, Reverend Jones has to wear dark glasses to enhance the spirit of revelation and the healing of persons in the audience. So I was not going there with religion, even though I checked out various religions. I was not going there with religion in mind as much as a mixture I was searching for between humanitarianism and uh, and religion. Right. I, was, I was searching for that mix when, um, you know, we say God is love or when we say that true religion undefiled before the Father is helping widows and orphans in their affliction or the quintessentially perfect example of all was Matthew 25 when people were asking Jesus how to get to heaven. And he said, well, I was hungry and you didn't do nothing. And they, they probably said, oh, but we did. We always took care of you. Hmm. And he basically implied, uh, to paraphrase, you don't get it. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you ministered to me. And inasmuch as you have done to the least of these, you did it to me. Hmm. In other words, God is love and I am um, the representation for God on the earth. You, you need to know that if you're helping the poor and the helpless, you just did that to me. And so that, that offered a very holistic, more comprehensive understanding of not necessarily a revolutionary Christ, but uh, certainly that involving love and religion can be a revolutionary thing. When we say revolutionary, we don't mean violence or anything like that, but maybe the way that they talk about soap. You're not having violence when, if you say it's the Pepsi revolution, you don't mean that there's <laughs> machine guns. Yeah. You know, it's revolutionary to see the churches embrace uh, love and put love to practice. As Christians, we certainly must consider that every man, woman, and child is us in some figurative manner, but for the grace of God, there go I, you know? And so mm. what we have is um, a need to apply religion. And uh, so Jim Jones talked a lot about that. And he saw eye to eye with those of us who felt that way about matters. And he went so far with it, like um, believing in socialism. I'd never heard any other person equate socialism with the day of Pentecost, where they went from door to door, uh, giving, uh, taking from each according to their voluntarily, from each according to their ability and giving to each according to their need, which sounds like Karl Marx yeah. quote, exactly, you know, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. So he is paving some ground, but on the other hand, he sold out to whatever his personal imperfections were, such as at that time they were giving um, diet pills to housewives and who would eat them like M&Ms or candy to lose weight. He was concerned about his weight. Guard yourself. I gotta have meat. Keep on guarding yourself. Actually, the best way you could have long life, 
I've been saying it for years is to starve yourself. Now the scientists came out this past week and confirmed another thing that I said, that people who starve themselves would live a third life longer. They'd live a third as much again as they ordinarily do if they lived on a starvation diet all their time. But you've got to fill yourself full till you're so fat that you're going to have strokes, occlusions. It's amazing that I've kept you from dying because you eat like hogs. You eat slop. You eat slop that a pig would turn his nose up at. Guard yourself on all these things. And I've got diets here through my nurses available to you. The medical people that work here voluntarily. We've offered them to you, just as the district attorneys who are in our church, and work free, give you legal services, free. We, uh, we give the counseling on their off time. Spend their weekends and their nights. So our nurses have it. And you keep eating like pigs. You've got to get that weight down because you're not just working yourself to death. You're working yourself to be like that woman, paralyzed because she couldn't move. And if you don't keep my sayings, you can't expect me to bring you out of the mess when you won't listen to me. I have the cares of the world on me. I once was a man in the 200s till I combusted into the Godship degree. Mother Turnell can tell you when I was over 200. Staff can tell you when I was 210, 218 pounds. When I combusted into the Godship degree, I had to do away with that flesh. That's mortality's version. I had to extremiate it. After three days, you won't feel it if you go on a fast with a multiple vitamin, flush yourself with the procedure I've already recommended. It's on free riding for you if you just ask. I'm here to bring you to good health. You know, I went to the library and read up on it and read that the regular use of amphetamines causes mental ward-like uh, schizophrenia. So the Jim Jones that I met was um, a kinder, much more charming, uh, much more charismatic in, 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 in so much that he was that kindness and, and can be charismatic. Mm. Uh, and then the Jim Jones that I got away from uh, had become the autocrat, the authoritarian, the uh, the dictator uh, who used fear and stuff. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, if you had Jim Jones walk into the room, you know, he might come into a room and mix warmth with authoritarianism. He might say, Jason, it's so good. It's so wonderful to see you. And this kind of thing. And you think, what a nice guy. What a nice, warm guy. You know, but then when he wanted to, then he might say, why are we, why are we, why are we friends to these people next door that are ruining us, that are taking advantage of us all, all the time? Mm. You know, and then it switched to, Jason, I, I told you before, this is like not in order for us to put up with this before. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the way that people are doing. This has got to change. We are not going to, you know, and so then he's going from always balancing from authoritarianism to, uh, to being warm or personable. And so knowing him was a lesson in communications for sure. So this first meeting when you show up, what year was that? Around 71. 
okay, when you walk in for the first time, had what you heard about it prepared you for what you saw when you walked into the room? No, I'd never been to a Pentecostal church. Okay. It was an auditorium that was completely full, by the way. There's a junior high, uh, Benjamin Franklin Junior High. It was a junior high auditorium, but it was completely full. And so I went in there and I was, you're talking about when I first went to the church, you see? And I was being interviewed by uh, several of the counselors uh, out on the steps. Linda Amos particularly felt like that she sort of adopted me a little bit. And uh, Jim came around after the meeting in the cafeteria and said, I heard a lot of really great things about uh, how you think and the things that you believe in. And I would like to welcome you up to find out more about us to the Redwood Valley Church. So I went. But when you're talking about what was there when you first approach and you first go in there, it makes this place stand out. Well, uh, Jim was a, a pretty succinct public speaker. If you want to see God, you can see God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you're able to ask or think. Have you ever asked to see God? Well, I'm here to tell you, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Oh, yes. You either believe God or you don't. He said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you're able to ask. Um, even when he got off the subject, you knew to, to be a little bit forgiving unless he had gone so far that he went and was mad and went crazy. But uh, because there was no one out there that... Uh, seemed to be quite as succinct and, and uh, powerful and certain. And, and So I remember one time when in uh, Redwood Valley, we went down to the public park and uh, Jim Jones had no microphone. He had no speaker. And he got up on some kind of a high position there, uh, like a, maybe a picnic table or something in the park. But all the members, it was just the park was packed. And there were politicians that were going to be there. And there were city elders and they were going to be there. So Jim didn't have to say controversial things. But he made a statement against the Vietnam War. He was basically quoting General David Shoup. And, and he, you know, and I remember him saying, uh, General David Shoup said, we fought war on several continents for U.S. steel, Gulf oil, tungsten, and rubber. And if America got its dirty dollar-grubbing hands out of Vietnam, there would be peace tomorrow. Mm. And uh, I thought, man, this guy can, t this guy can lay it down right, <laughs> right in front of other politicians. And they all clap their hands. Wow. You know? And it was like no PA, no... Uh, microphone, nothing, and he was boldly um, taking the position that I wanted to see someone take in America. As far as like later on when we're in uh, uh, Los Angeles, Jim came down uh, once every two weeks. So people say, well, how do we know you're not 
Oh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, mm. and that you're not all jonesed out in your head. Man, I, I saw him, I only saw him for years. I mean, I was there about five years. I only saw him once every two weeks, uh, and where they just rushed in, they made a mess out of the L.A. church. He gave an oratory on Saturday and on Sunday, once every two weeks. I was in charge the rest of the time. And they ran out as fast as they had all come in. They went, sat through his services. They screamed and hollered. And they trashed out the place and got back on the buses and left out there. And uh, that went on for four and a half years, you know. I'd say the first half, the first half a year, um, I'd entered Santa Rosa Junior College where I was going to be a lawyer and um, this kind of thing. Before he asked me if I would set up a church in L.A. because he's buying a church building there. How do we get from you attending services, you having you know, a conversation with, with Jones about you know, your interests and being interested in the right things? How do we get from that to you becoming a pastor of the L.A. branch? It's one of the most puzzling things you would think, but it isn't if you hear my explanation right now. Jim Jones announced publicly, he said, I have looked out over the entire world that Dave Wise was the most dedicated who worked more programs and worked with feeding the poor, giving clothing away and helping and understanding our church programs. He explained to me that he took the most dedicated person. And it was very believable because when I was working at various things, I noticed that there wasn't really as much help as you would think. There wasn't that much help. I had to like try to get people to help me. So I was an organizer, you know, and then once in uh, LA, it's a two way street here. He didn't just appoint someone there, Nobody had any blackmail on anyone. Uh, I didn't suspect at that time yet that he was engaged in any questionable sexual behavior or anything like that that would go along with that addiction to methamphetamine uh, equivalents, which would be uh, doctor-prescribed diet pills. Mm -hmm. When I went to L.A., I got a job at the newspaper in the night. And, and then I worked building the church up in the day. And so he didn't announce me as being the uh, resident pastor until I had done many things like that. Okay. He, he let me prove myself, even though he invited me there. And then he announced and made it really official and they ordered business cards and stationery. Although it was his idea, and, and you know, when I said, well, I'm going to school to be a lawyer. And he said, well, as a pastor, you can have, lot, you can have lawyers working for you all day long. And, and so he had me in that group in his mind. I had the understanding and all that and the dedication. And so I seemed like a natural for him to pick to go to Los Angeles and build it into a church with all the programs that were in uh, Redwood Valley. So 
you come in and this literally looks like what you've been looking for. Is is is, is that about right with with people yeah. up in the beginning? Yeah, it's a big family. Yeah. Big family. What's wrong with that family? Integrated family. Yeah, and then he when they find out about you. They come and you have this uh, sort of like interview and slowly this progression comes about and you're announced that you're going to be pastor of the church in L.A. So now about every two weeks, Jones comes in and with his rah-rah gang and makes a mess of everything. And of course, you have to clean up, you know, after all that. Uh, So in the time in between those two weeks, though, you're able to do what you came to that exactly. church to be part of. Exactly, exactly. And if I may, just a quick interjection. Oh, yeah. Um, it began to turn on Jim because I began to see, my eyes began to open. So what was happening, for instance, I set up the, the housing program through the uh, uh, FHA type of um, housing program of some sort and filled the apartment buildings up the, going down the street all the way up to the church with our church members. Mm. So I, I set up a communalistic setting, although everybody had an individual and private, they had their privacy, but they were all living next to each other there in LA, just like in Redwood Valley. Later, as I was deducing that Jim was no longer into um, the goals that he set out for, but that he is becoming a church which just propagates itself and the offerings were not going back to help the people but were just becoming like a an organization i use the wording an organization just perpetuating itself mm. that was very important to me and i remember on one occasion matter there was a really dedicated elderly mom uh, that was like a church mother that was uh, telling me, look, I didn't fall down and break my arm. I, I woke up, I had been given some kind of a drug and I woke up and I had a cast on my arm. So she went right along with Jim taking that cast off of her arm in public and everyone celebrating this healing. But she told me privately this didn't happen. Just try it. Just try it. We have nothing to lose. We have no face to lose because we've said we're no panacea. But I have seen more healings here than I've ever seen any place. I love you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jehovah Jireh. All the goodness of all the world's great religions in the name and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus wherein I stand. Come forth, my dear. Stand up. And uh, so what I'm telling you is, is that she didn't have any adequate amount of food in her cupboard. She was so dedicated. Mm. And I went to Jim and I said, I have to make sure that everyone here has plenty of food. He said, well, we've got that cupboard downstairs with uh, canned food in it. I said, Jim, I know that. She's on a disability check. If she gives too much of her check, there's things she can't buy that that aren't in that cupboard. Mm. And so he didn't say anything, 
But the point was is that he was taking one collection after the next, after the next. So now your defection, would you say that it was progressive or was there a, a straw that broke the camel's back? Well, both. I'm hearing a progression. Certain things are starting to, no. to stand out to you here and there. But is no. there a big event that all of a sudden you're just, I'm, I'm done with this? Yeah. Progressively, I uh, would like to point out that I looked in Jim's pill bag and found the amphetamines there in his bedroom quarters in Los Angeles. And so why would I offend his private space? Well, I wanted to see if he was taking pills, so I looked in his pill bag to find out. Just like if you were uh, a manager responsible at a company, you'd want to know. Mm. You know? But um, these are human lives. Mm. You know? And in the end, I was telling people, Jim is on a road to destroy himself. You don't want to join him down that road. Mm. So I was, couldn't have been more right. Only I didn't really, hadn't been shown that he was going to take everyone with him mm. uh, so explicitly. And, uh, and he had given hints uh, before, uh, you know, that everybody could just die together. And there wasn't a lot of talk about that to run people off or scare people. But he had mentioned within context, certain context. There was an incident with, um, with a little boy. Um, he could sing like a bird for a little child, he could sing like a bird, but he was feisty. And we're supposed to admire if somebody's feisty, a little boy like that. I beg you tell me, you know, what's wrong with that? And so he was basically acting a little smart alecky to Jim Jones, who had taken a microphone over to him. Now, Jim Jones trying to put on a good image in front of the crowd as perfect and all that. And this boy, who was not being so disrespectful that I noticed, you know, but this boy was considered to be like uh, a little bit smart alecky. And so Jim tangled with him for a while and the guy wouldn't and the little boy wouldn't back down. And he was this phenomenon of a singer. So that probably helped give him this great confidence he had that he knew he could do something other people couldn't do. Hmm. And um, he had some true, true power and range for a little boy. And um, Jim Jones then sent a, a glass of water from the so-called nurse um, down and gave it to the little boy and said, you're, you're thirsty, aren't you? you? Go ahead and drink the water, you know. And so the bottom line is, is that Jim drugged him. And then he said, uh, well, you've taken on the spirit of God. You've done what you should not have done. You've gone too far. So Jim is talking, him, talking to him before he passes out. And the little boy passes out. And they take him after the meeting. And Jim is saying, you know, he, he's on a plane. He's in a world where I'm protecting him from the, the problems and I blah, blah, whatever. And so Jim's fixing him now that he broke him, right? And in a spiritual sense or some corruption. And so we go over to the um, rotunda, the room 
because the uh, council has the the PC, the planning commission, is with the buses, and they're having a me the meeting after the meeting over in the in in the rotunda room, and we go over there, and the little boy's laying on the floor. The boy was passed out, and Larry was bent over there, going, "Ooh!" Uh, he was trying to terrorize the subconscious of a little boy that had been drugged. Yeah, and I said, get away from that child, Larry. I told him, get away from the child. And so he did, but I never forgot that because it was no better than what Jim had done by drugging the water. And and he was laying up in the rotunda room with all the people jammed in there, just ignoring this child had been like drugged and laid there with, and some people making spooky noises. And um, that just put me over the top right there. I said, I got to get that Dickens out of Dodge. Yeah. Um, no good can come of this. No. And almost everything happens. I feel like exposing it, you know. And so anything that's taking place now is, seems criminal to me. Morally, if, 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 if not any other way it seems morally morally criminal and so i i expedited my departure wow wow they caught up with me about uh, twice and um it wasn't so friendly on my getting away the second time i went down the side of the san francisco church from the third floor with my trunk and my um and the security said what's that trunk going down the did you let down on the outside of the building? I said, I'm having a yard sale. I can't carry that trunk all by myself. And I'm not messing around with that trunk. I just let it down the window. Mm. I said, you got a problem with that? So the fact that I'd been a pastor, I could talk to people like that. Right. That right. just, you know, I told this lady, I need to borrow your car. I'm gonna have a, gonna have a yard sale. I wanna borrow your car. So she says, of course. And so she loans me her car. I load the trunk in there and I drive off and I went to the Gray Rabbit bus station, which uh, was like a hippie bus line, because I thought maybe they wouldn't uh, hawk and track me there. And I went there and um, I was in there. And uh, suddenly Jim McElvain and um, Chris Lewis, the huge, huge guys, basically if you can use the kind of language to say work for me as a pastor in Los Angeles. So they had, um, they came in and sat beside me and they said, Jim wants to talk to you on the phone. Cause I'd left a note that I was out of there hmm. and slipped it under Jim's door. And then I know that he thought, well, how's he going to get out past our security and all that, you know? And, and I did, right. I said, I need you to go tell Jim that I'm not gonna get on the telephone and have him tell me that I'm gonna take a long walk off of a short pier if I don't do what he wants or something like that. It's not gonna happen. And so I knew what was gonna happen next. And uh, because in Los Angeles, all the whole planning commission lived right there in the temple. And so they were all called together. I knew that, you know, by then. And uh, so, 
uh, Jim McElvain and Chris Lewis, who were my friends, they both left out of there. And I think both of them admired my courage. Mm. And they both left out of there and then went back to tell Jim and see what he did. And while I was gone, I turned around and the manager of the place, I said, uh, here in a minute, I'd say no more than 15 minutes. There's going to be cars pull up, block the entire street. There's going to be probably 60 people walk through that front door coming after me. Mm. I said, uh, I'm being held basically against my will. And he said, really? And he said, hold on one second. He called the owner and told him what was going on. Uh, put him on the phone with me, I think. And I told him, and he said, you can come over to my house and we'll figure out how to get you out of town. And so I looked on the wall and there was a poncho. What basically they decorated the wall with hippie accoutrement. So basically the wall had a poncho, a hat, like um, a broad brimmed hat, and a pair of John Lennon sunglasses and a wig on the wall at the Gray Rabbit bus station. I said, I'm gonna need to borrow these right now. And I put the wig on, and I put the hat on, the big brim hat, and I put the poncho on, which did the trick, and uh, put the sunglasses on. Wow. And I asked the first guy standing there, I said, I said, who's got a vehicle? And this guy said he had a vehicle. And I said, get the other handle on this, and we'll carry it around to your vehicle, which is on the side right there. And as we were going out the front door, cars screamed to a halt in around all through around there and 60 people got out and were walking right past me carrying I was carrying the trunk all of them walked past me I walked right through the middle of them and we put that in the in the Volkswagen van that he had I um, laid down on the floor because I kind of dropped out of their sight around on the side of the building and so I laid down and I said, now pull out of here. And uh, it was a memorable moment. It's over. Join us next week for episode six, A Good Thing, A God Thing, where we take a look at some of the distinct theology of people's temple. On behalf of Christian Life Church, I'd like to give a special thanks to Fielding McGee, who has been a great resource I also want to thank the Jonestown Institute for providing all of the audio clips that we have been able to look at together. To get more content like this, visit us on the web at clcwaverly.com. That's C-L-C-W-A-V-E-R-L-Y.com.
Welcome to Worldview Clash Class. The eye hath seen, their ear hath heard, their heart has been stirred. They have seen the emanation of the hundredfold God manifesting through this temple. And it triggers a faith in them, and it quickens their spirit, and it causes their mortal bodies to put on immortality.